Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. In this message, Pastor Chad Gilligan continues his series called Before and After. Through this series, we will learn about the biblical principle of the change that happens in our lives before God and after his work in our lives. Okay, we're all friends here, right? Sure, somebody said. <laughs> yeah, you sure know how to help a guy's confidence. That's uh... Okay, so show of hands, let me take a little poll. How many of you have ever had an awkward moment? Yeah, how many of you have gotten really good at it? Yeah, all right. There's just those times where you just go, okay, that was, that was uncomfortable. Maybe you walk into some place. Have you ever showed up underdressed for a dressed-up event? Do you know what I mean? We're just kind of like, oh, man, that's not good. Some of you have maybe had the experience where you're in a, you're in a restaurant, and every so often in a, in a restaurant, they'll try to be cute by the signs they put on the men's and ladies' restroom, and they put something different than just men's or ladies. That's problematic, I stand and double check before I go in because I don't want an awkward moment. I kind of had one of those a little bit on Friday. If you were here Friday night and, and you were a guy, you were out of place because we had uh, 280 ladies here for our ladies' night out. It was a really, just really cool event. And there was also a, a wedding rehearsal that was taking place at the same time. So I was here for the wedding rehearsal. And I, and I got here and I had to walk you know, in and down to the chapel where the wedding rehearsal was. And as I did, there was a long, long line of women that I had to walk past, just this lone man walking down this long line of women. I OD'd on estrogen from the, the time it took me to get from the atrium down to the chapel. And I just said, I don't belong here. You ever had those moments? Awkward moment. Then there's those moments where you look up and walking right towards you, let's just be honest, let's just, we can do that, right? Walking right towards you is that person you just go, oh man, I just don't like them, right? <laughs> is it just me? Maybe it is me. <laughs> that, maybe I'm that person, I don't know. But you have those just moments where you just go, man, this just does not fit. It just doesn't feel right. And we can laugh about some of them, but for some of you, you've very clearly, you've very painfully known that. Or maybe because of your age or your race or your gender or your social status, you found yourself at times where you said, I just feel like I'm in the wrong place. I feel like I don't fit here. What I feel is unrest. What you're missing, well, what you're missing is what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. When a series of messages we're calling before and after, we're talking about the difference that Christ makes in our lives as Paul walks us through it in the book of Ephesians. And in the first um, 10 verses, he takes time in Ephesians chapter 2 to really focus on what Christ has done for us. In fact, next week, you're not going to want to miss next week. We're going to go back to verse 10 next week. And we've got some really cool stuff, uh, just some really special things next week. So make sure you don't miss the service next Sunday morning. First 10 verses, he talks about what Christ has done. And then in verse 11, he begins by saying, therefore, hey, because of this, let me show you something that's real. Let me show you a reality of something that's true because of what Christ has done for us. And what he talks to us about there is what we miss so many times in those awkward situations, and it's the idea of peace. So today I want to give you three observations about peace, ideas that I'm pulling out of this passage, not kind of a, a, the breadth of what Scripture says about this subject, but just right here out of Ephesians 2, some things about this subject of peace. How do we find it? Where does it come from? What's it all about? And in order to do that, I kind of got to step back just a little bit with this first observation. 
And I want to talk about something that I think is really interesting because these, these sermons that we're doing out of Ephesians, they, they've been planned out for some time now. So when the things that show up in the headlines somehow match up with what we're going to look at in God's word, it seems really fascinating to me. So let me show you the first thing that I want you to see about peace today. Number one is that war is inevitable. Number one, war is inevitable. And don't, don't take this as a downer, and please, in the next few moments, I hope you don't, I hope you don't hear any kind of political statements. I, I just, as we were talking about peace, I felt like we needed to look at the opposite of that a little bit and what scripture says about it, because in the headlines, specifically even in the last few weeks, there's been all kinds of war, there's been conflict, there's been unrest that we've seen, like red cups at Starbucks. Have you seen this? Good grief. And, and you see things like a presidential debate or a UFC fight, these things that have battle attached to them. And you can laugh at some of those things, but you don't laugh at racial tension. And you certainly don't laugh at what happened in Paris. War is inevitable. Now let's, let's talk about this for a moment. Let, let's say it in this way. War is inevitable in this world, in this world that we live in now. Now we know this. We believe that Jesus is coming again someday, Right? And when he does, we'll have a new heavens and a new earth, and peace will come in a way like we've never known it. But until that time, until he comes again, look at what Jesus says. Luke chapter 21, verse 9. These are Jesus' words. He says, when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. So here's what he says. There will be war. It's inevitable. Nation will rise against nation. People will rise against people. All around the world, there is conflict that comes because we live in a fallen, sinful world. So we have to step back and realize there will be times when there will be war, and we have to understand that. The, the current crisis that we see has to do with, with ISIS that's in the headlines. We have these moments where it's just wise for us to recognize this is the state of humanity. We don't say that to be a downer. We don't say that to resolve ourselves because we're talking about what we do about that but it's just inevitable that there will be this. So what does that mean? Well, the Bible also says that God has instituted the government to protect people. God has instituted the government to protect people. As you look through scripture, you see that there are institutions that God created, the church, the family, the government, to be able to serve and to accomplish his purposes. And the government is one of those things that God has instituted. Now let's just start here. It doesn't mean you have to always agree, right? And the nice part about our government, about the country that we're privileged to live in, is that you and I actually have a voice in it, don't we? If we take it. And so it's important for us to recognize this. But here's what Scripture says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. And let me pause just there and remind you that in the first century, the emperor did not go to an Assembly of God church on Sunday mornings. In fact, he was opposed to Christianity. He was persecuting followers. So Paul says, even in the midst of that, he said, or this is Peter in this instance, he says, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who, I, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. <clears throat> so you see here, there's this idea that God has instituted the government to be able to serve and to protect their people. Romans chapter 13, Paul talks about this. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there, was, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. 
For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be condemned or com- commended. Oh, that was a little slip there, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, good morning, Calvary. Let's start over. All right. <laughs> do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, what Scripture does not say is that we blindly follow those in leadership who may compel us to do unbiblical things. Our first allegiance is to God, correct? However, in issues where that doesn't come into play, we are to submit ourselves to those in authority, and as you see here, the authority is instituted by God God's servants as agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So if there is harm that is coming to a people, it is up to the government to respond in that way. That's why I think it's good for us, and we did this last week, but just it fits in right where we are again, to say after Wednesday, thanks to those who serve and have served in our military. Because as a result of that, we have freedom that many others don't. We have liberty that is so precious to us, and this is key and leads us to kind of this next thing that I, that I think is interesting when we talk about the subject of war, that there are times when war is just. There are times when war is, is just or when war is right. There, there's a whole kind of branch of theology that looks at this, and it, it's what's called a just war theory, that there's times when there is justice attached to some kind of an active response to wrongdoing, and that the government has that role at times when there's a just cause, when there's an immoral enemy, when there's right intentions, when there's a probability of success, when you go about it, not with the spirit of vengeance, but with the spirit of justice, there's, there's these things that come in. And so I think that's just important for us. As I was praying about this, and, and as we talk about peace, this subject of war comes up. So how does this play in to all that we look at and talk about it? There are these times, which then leads us to go, okay, so what's my role then? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond in these times? Well, the Bible makes it very clear. We are called to pray for and live in peace. We're called to pray for and to live in peace. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul gives us instructions. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. So God's will for us, his hope for us is that we'll live in peace. As a result, we're to pray for those in authority. We're to believe that God will bring us that peace even though we know that in this fallen world there will be times when it will not be there and we may have to take active steps to try to reclaim that peace. What's number one on Paul's priority list? He says you should pray. And I think that given the headlines, today would be a good day for us to pray. Would you agree? I mean, when we see what happened in Paris, it's a good day for us to pray for that nation, but also for the world, to pray for our leaders, to pray for world leaders, and to pray that God would, as he encourages us to, give us peace. So before we do anything else, can we stop and do that this morning? Would you join with me? Heavenly Father, based on the instruction of your word, we we come today and we pray for those who are leaders in authority. Father, we pray for our president and the Congress. We pray for their advisors. We pray for our military. 
that God, in a time when there is such global tension, that you would give to our nation wisdom, that you'd give them guidance and discernment, Lord, that you would protect us and give us your will, your wisdom, and that you would bring us peace. Lord, we, peop- we, we pray for the people in Paris and in France today. Lord, so many that um, have been affected by this tragedy, we ask that you would allow them somehow to know your grace and your comfort. Lord, we pray that you would bring rest to a nation that is on edge. And God, we pray for our world because our world is in need of peace. And Father, we recognize that even in the midst of all of this, the only way that true peace will be found is when people have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that globally you would do work in Europe and in our nation. God, we pray in in Asia and South America and Africa and, Lord, in the Middle East, Lord, that you would do miraculous things, that just as you did for the Apostle Paul, that you would change hearts of those from evil to good and that you would, Lord, um, protect us, Lord, from those who might have an intention to bring harm and instead would you thwart that and, Lord, would you help us to know peace from you as we look to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing, I guess, if we're gonna talk about peace is you've gotta recognize that there is an opposite to that. War is inevitable. Second thing, then, let's take that not just from a a big global scale, but let's make it more personal for a few moments today because the truth is the, the issues that you're facing probably don't involve international boundary lines. It probably is the boundary lines you walk at home or at work or at school Who knows, your your challenge might be right here at church. So where is it that you wrestle, that you struggle to try to find peace? Let me give you a second thing today, is that conflict is natural. Number two, conflict is natural. And and I don't um, don't want that to sound like we're minimizing it. It's this, in, in our fallen human nature, it's natural that we will experience conflict with other people because of sin in the world. Have you found that to be true? Conflict is is natural. Conflict naturally happens among nations and individuals. You just, you see it take place. So if that's the truth, if it's inevitable, it's going to happen. If it's kind of the natural response, then what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? Well, first, I think it's key that you see that Paul points this out to us. Ephesians chapter two, he's talking to the church in Ephesus. So let's, let's remind ourselves of what we've said a lot in this series. Ephesians is written to a church in a city called Ephesus that Paul started. He started this church. He loved these people. He spent two and a half years there in in pastoring this church longer than any other place. And what's interesting is the church had kind of two large groups in it. One would have been the Jewish people, and the Jewish people would would claim to to have the, the heritage of the Christian religion. They would go back to Abraham. And then you had the Gentiles, which could be any group outside of Judaism. And what was happening in the church is that the Jewish people, who probably laid claim to kind of the foundation of the church, are now having these Gentile believers come in, and because of the difference in their culture, there's a struggle that's happening. There's conflict. And it wasn't just in their church that this conflict was happening. It was happening all over the Roman Empire at that time. Because at that time, what was taking place in all of the Roman Empire was anti-Jewish sentiment. Because as the Jews were scattering throughout kind of the then known world, the Gentiles were having tension and challenge and struggles there. So what Paul is speaking to is a natural conflict that happens between people. Ephesians chapter two, verse 11, he says this. Therefore, remember 
that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. And what you'll see as he goes on, as we read through the rest of this, Paul is highlighting here, he's saying, look, there's a difference between you. The reason that you're facing these challenges, the reason that you have conflict, this conflict that naturally happens, is because of your differences. Conflict comes to us because of our differences. When we see these differences, it brings something out in us, and conflict naturally begins to happen. How do we define some of that conflict? Well, in Galatians chapter three, and and, and watch what Paul does here. In Galatians chapter three, Paul is talking about how in Christ there's a change that comes to us, that we become united as followers of Christ, but in the process, he highlights the places where we see our differences. Look at this, Galatians chapter three, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And watch what he lists here. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So he he points out here that there's all these things that divide us. See, our sinful nature focuses on what divides us and not what unites us. Our kind of defense mechanism, our sinful nature is to go, you're different from me in this way. We're not the same in this way. And whether it's out of fear, whether it's out of defensiveness or whatever it is, our natural humanity, our our human nature is oftentimes to go, there's a difference. And so you're over there and I'm over here. That's kind of the natural response. And Paul's saying, look, that changes because of what Christ has done in our lives. And the truth is, folks, we see this in every layer of our lives. I'm telling you, it's happening right here, right now, even in our church. There are people saying unkind things about me simply because the Steelers and the Browns are playing this afternoon. I'm a Steelers fan, and I'm not afraid to admit it. And that brings a conflict to some of us, and you need to just get over it, okay? Here's the deal. This football game makes no difference in eternity, but there's an awful lot that does. And because of our differences, we, we make a big deal out of it. We focus on what divides us instead of what unites us. But look at what Paul says. He says, look, in Christ, and, and look again at verse 29 of Ephesians 3, or excuse me, Galatians 3. He says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Abraham's seed means you you go all the way back to Father Abraham. Whether you're Jewish or not, you're connected to the very beginning of God's promises, and you're an heir of his promise in the future, which means that in Christ, those differences really aren't there anymore because you have the same beginning and the same end. In Christ, both our past and our future are redefined. Because oftentimes, we, we define ourselves or we separate ourselves based on where we come from or where we're going. And what Paul says is, look, in Christ, those of you who are followers of Jesus, that doesn't matter anymore because you have the same beginning in his promise and you have the same end in his promise. So as a result, you have to deal with those things that separate you, race, ethnicity, social status, gender, religion, All those things in Christ become redefined to see who we are in him, not who we are apart from each other. So that's key for us to recognize. 
Because when we do that, then we can fully embrace the fact that he has made us different. You and I aren't the same. We have different personalities. We have different backgrounds. It may be in our age, our gender, our race, whatever you might say, but here's the deal. God created us so that our diversity would lead to beautiful harmony. Not that it would divide us, but that in that we would find something beautiful. He created us so that our diversity would lead to beautiful harmony. Revelation chapter five, look at how he um, describes what's gonna happen in heaven around the throne of God. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from, listen to this, every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. We've been created for beautiful harmony. If that's the case, then it should change the way we look at each other. It should change how we view one another. See, I don't view you anymore because of what Christ has done in me, simply how you're different from me, but instead how Christ sees you. So it changes it in a practical way. Romans chapter 12, verses nine and 10. Paul says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. How are you gonna find this peace instead of conflict? It comes, he says, where you honor one another above yourselves. We must learn to see each other through the eyes of God. Not just the way that we see things, but we must learn to see each other through the eyes of God. And when we do that, we can find ourselves in a place that moves towards reconciliation. And listen to this. There can be no reconciliation without humility and understanding. There can be no reconciliation, listen to those two words, without humility and understanding. I don't know how much I'm like you until I listen enough to find out I'm not that different from you. And that's, that's been something really powerful in my life because I can be prone to think that the way I see things is the way everybody should see things. And I'm probably right. But it's important for me to listen to other people. You know, I, I grew up in, in this fellowship of churches, the Assemblies of God, my whole life. And so oftentimes when I've encountered people who are from another denomination or another fellowship, I can find myself naturally kind of going, oh, you poor thing, you're not as cool as I am. <laughs> until I talk to them. Until I humble myself long enough to listen. And then I go, wow. And your story's really cool. And the same thing's true when you interact with someone who has faced challenges in their gender or in their age or in their race that you've never known, and if you would humble yourself long enough to listen to them, to understand their story, then oftentimes we find out that at heart, at at its very root, we're really not that different, are we? If we'll see each other the way that God sees us, man, this is true in every area of your life. If you want your marriage, if you want your workplace, if you want your interactions with others to have reconciliation, to have instead of conflict, to have peace, they better start with some humility and with some understanding because if you don't take time to find out where the other person's coming from, you're never gonna get anywhere together. And it's key for us to see that. And why we talk about it today is because 
if I don't recognize that conflict might come, then I don't know how to respond to it when I see it. Have you ever, you ever been driving? We don't, we don't have this around here. But if you're driving in the mountains somewhere, like if you're in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Tennessee, something like that, and you're driving in the mountains, every so often there'll be those signs that say, caution, falling rocks. I find no peace from those. And, and, and what am I going to do? I mean, at some point, if it's coming, it's, that's it, right? I guess. I don't know. But you're glad you have that sign because it says, hey, look out for this. Around here, we've got the little signs that have the pretty little deer on it, right? That doesn't mean stop and watch. <laughs> it means look out because something could jump out at you at any moment. And it's good for us to be aware that conflict really can come at any moment, right? especially if we're interacting with people who are different from us, which is all of us. So if we're aware of that conflict, we're not scared of it. Instead, we're purposely looking, how can I bring peace instead of conflict? How can I, through humble understanding, help to bring reconciliation to this situation? Man, is that true in our marriages? Because the truth is you're probably very different from your spouse. In fact, it was those differences that probably attracted you to each other to begin with. And then over time, those differences aren't so cute anymore now, are they? And they can be these places where it could bring tension into a home. And it's important that I step back far enough to go, okay, am I understanding my spouse? Have I humbled myself enough to, to speak their language, to think about what they're thinking, how my communication affects them? Have I humbled myself enough? Am I listening enough to bring peace to this situation? What about in the workplace? You know how to push the people's buttons around you, and they know how to push yours. How are you handling that? How do you respond to that? One of our, one of our kids had an exercise they had to do to, for uh, school not too long ago, and they were sitting at the kitchen counter, and they were doing their homework, and they said, can you, can you help me with this? I'm supposed to list some racial stereotypes. And they had people like of different, different ethnicities and the, and the point was, in this particular context of the exercise, they had to list stereotypes about different areas that people had for different races. Now, that's an uncomfortable conversation to have in your kitchen. And at first, I was kind of a little bit put out until I realized what the teacher was trying to do. The teacher was not trying to reinforce stereotypes. The teacher was trying to expose them. Because oftentimes, once you expose something, then you see the ugliness of it, and you see the reality that it's something that you have to deal with. For some of you, it would be really healthy for you to expose some things in your life. The way that you think about a certain person or maybe the way that you think about a certain group of people. And I know it may have come from experience that you had or it may have come from, from your background or, oh, my family's just always kind of been that. I don't, I don't know what it is. But have you taken time to think, to really say, God, how do I, how do I think about that? Do I view that person or that group of people or that situation through your eyes or just through the eyes I've always used? Because conflict will naturally come. But because of what Christ has done, he's eliminated those differences so that we can know instead of conflict, so that we can know peace. Which takes us to this third thing that I hope we'll, uh, we'll consider today. And it's that peace is only found if you will find it in its true source. If you don't come to the true source of peace, anything else you do is just a Band-Aid. Number three, peace is a person. It's not a thing. It's not a title. It's not stuff. 
If you truly want to find peace, peace is only found in a person. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, speaking of Jesus, says, for he himself is our peace. And if we try to find it anywhere else, we're just going to be frustrated. I, I, I know because I've talked to some of you. I've had a family member who's had issues where you get water in your basement. Maybe you have a house with a basement, and when it rains or when there's certain things that take place, you get water in your basement, and you can try to do things to fix that. And you can try to deal with that, and you can try to address it, or you clean it up, or whatever, and then at some point, somebody's going to come out and go, look, I, I see you've, you've got this issue, and the deal is, you will always have this issue because you have an issue with the foundation of your home. And until you fix this about your foundation, until you repair this and restore this and give me a whole lot of money to repair your foundation, you're always going to have this same issue. And look, we try to find peace in so many different ways, but until we change the foundation of our lives, until we find that peace is only really found in Jesus Christ, we'll have those same issues over and over and over again. And here's why. Because without God, there is no real peace. Scripture makes this very clear, that without God, there is no real peace. You can search for it, you can try to find it, it's just gonna be a hollow substitute. Here's what Paul said, Ephesians chapter two, verse 12. Listen to the words he uses here. He's speaking about before they came to Christ. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Listen to the harshness of those words. You were separate, excluded, and foreigners. How many of you like to be left out? <laughs> Nobody does. When you feel like you're on the outside, it hurts. The truth is exclusion brings unrest. Exclusion, when you feel like you've been excluded, it leads to unrest in your hearts. Some of you know that better than others, but it's, it's just the absolute truth. If you feel like you're on the outside, if you feel like you've been left out, if you feel like something's not fair, then exclusion leads to unrest. If you want to test this, let's walk down to the preschool, let's get two cute little kids and give one of them candy, but not the other one. <laughs> What's going to happen? My, my son Evan, a couple days ago, and I didn't, I didn't realize this, um, a couple days ago, he helped our neighbor move some things. And so yesterday, the neighbor shows up with a plate of chocolate chip cookies because our neighbor's wife makes some killer chocolate chip cookies. And the cookies were for Evan. They ended up in Evan's room. That did not go over so well with some other people in our house. How come Evan has the cookies? Why don't we have the cookies? Evan, why are those cookies in your room? Evan, why are those your cookies? I want some of those. I mean, it was an issue of major international intrigue. I mean, this was a moment because something unfair happened. The cookies were in his room. There was exclusion, and it brought unrest to my house. Now, I'm over it now. But you get my point? Where there's exclusion, there's unrest. And he says to the people, you were separated, you were excluded, you were foreigners from God. That's why we have that spiritual hunger. The reason we have spiritual emptiness is because there's something we want and we can't have it because of our sin. It's excluded us from Christ. It's excluded us from God. And until we fix that, we have unrest. We have spiritual unrest because... Without God, there's no real peace. 
And you look for it in all kinds of places. Did you see what he said here to the people in Ephesus? He says that you were without hope and without God in the world. What's funny about that is they had plenty of gods. I mean, we've talked about this. They worshiped all kinds of false gods, and people have plenty of gods, but no hope without the real God. You can worship the God of money. You can worship the God of pleasure. You can worship the God of self. You can, I mean, you can go on and on. We all do it. But until you find your peace in the real God, you will never truly find peace because without God, we are without hope. It's, it's the bottom line truth. Without God, we are without hope. However, peace is found in Jesus Christ. Paul makes this very clear. Things shift when we recognize our need for him. Peace is found only in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter two, verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Do you see what happened there? Jesus removed the exclusion and offered us peace with God. When he died on the cross, he took away those things that separated us and allowed us to have that peace with God, access to the Father. And with that, we have peace that changes our lives that makes us new. It came because of Christ's shed blood for us. Romans chapter five, verse eight says this, but God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, it changes things for us. That makes everything different because of what Christ did for us. We go from being excluded to being included, and as a result of that, we can have peace. So that then leads us to go, what do we do with that? How do we respond? Two things, number one, I think we are partners in peace with other believers. We are partners in peace with other believers. See, I no longer see you by what divides us, I have to view you through what unites us. Paul had to make this point with the, with the church in Ephesus, with this division between the Jews and the Gentiles, because they all knew how it worked. Look at this, Ephesians chapter two, verse 14. Paul says of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Remember that line, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. See, at the, at the temple in Jerusalem, which was the, the headquarters of the Jewish religion, there was an area outside the temple that was called the court of the Gentiles. So any, anybody could go there. It didn't matter who you were. You were welcome to walk into the court of the Gentiles. But then there came a spot where there was this wall, the dividing wall that Paul infers to in that passage. It's about four and a half feet high. And if you were not a Jewish person, you couldn't go past that wall. A Gentile was by no means prohibited or uh, admitted, they were, they were prohibited from ever going past that wall to the point that there were signs all along the wall that said, hey, you can't go past here. We know that because the historian Josephus tells us that. But there were these 13 stone slabs written in Greek and Latin that stood at intervals on this barrier telling the Gentiles they should not enter. And archaeologists have found them. Here's what they say. There's two parts to it. The first part says no foreigner is to enter within the forecourt and around the sanctuary. 
So they weren't allowed to do that. Here's the second part, which I actually find kind of comical. It says, whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. Wow. I'm going to put a sign like that outside my office. You go past here, don't come crying to me. You got yourself to blame for your subsequent death. Was there some hostility between those two groups of people? (laughs) Absolutely. And Paul says, look, what Christ has done gets rid of that. So you don't see them based on the law anymore because the law said, you're this and I'm that. And you don't see them based anymore on conflict and our differences. Instead, you see them the way that Jesus saw them on the cross because whoever had a soul, he died for them no matter what their age or gender or race Didn't matter what their social status was. He just saw the soul. So recognize this. When we are at peace with God, we see each other through the vision of the cross and not the lens of the law or the eyes of conflict. It changes how we see people. It changes it. We're no longer viewing each other just by how different we are, but we need to view each other through how Jesus sees us at the cross. There's an old saying that says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You and I stand in the same, same place, same status when we come to Christ. Now, the truth is, that can be easier said than done. That's why Paul encourages us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says this, make every effort. doesn't sound like it's very easy, does it? <laughs> he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So it means you and I are going to have to do some self-searching at some point. How am I viewing people? Am I seeing them in the way that God would have me to look at them? Anne Lamott says it this way, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image, which you can already tell us backwards, right? Because we're to be created in the image of God, not God created in our image. So she says this, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Interesting thought. And we're called to be partners in peace with other believers. So maybe there's there's somebody that as we've been speaking today, based on something, that you just realize there's, there's a heart change that needs to come. Because you need to stop viewing them through the differences, you need to stop viewing them through conflict. And whether it's forgiveness that you need to ask for, whether it's forgiveness that you need to offer, or whether it's a change of heart that you need to have, It's time for you to partner in peace and not stay where you've been for far too long. Because for some of you, there's conflict that's defined your life. The reason you're frustrated is because you're holding on to something in the past. And although you think you've brought your sins to the cross so that you can take care of your own eternity, you're miserable right now because you're living in chaos or confusion. There's no calm in your life. Jesus says, if you'll view this through the lens of the cross, I can bring you peace. Not only peace in, in, in your relationships with others, but get this too. Here's the second thing I want you to see about this, that we are to be agents of peace to the world. Not, not just are we peace within the church, but we are to be agents of peace to the world. That's the whole point of the gospel. 
Just look at Ephesians chapter three, verse six. Paul's defining what the gospel is all about, and he, he calls it the mystery of Christ. And he says this, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. That's, that's a racial reconciliation there, isn't it? Members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. He says, look, this unity, this connectedness, this peace is what the gospel is all about. How will it get communicated? Well, he says this. See, God's plan is for peace first with God, then with one another. I'll never have peace with you if I first don't have peace with God. I've found this, that the times when I have issues with you, and boy, have I had issues with you, the times when I have issues with you are usually when I'm not right with God. The times when there's conflict in my marriage, the times when I'm impatient with others, I can usually stem it back to the fact that there's something that's not quite right in my relationship with God. This is, this is a little funny because this is the second time I get to preach this. And either some of you um, are really in a hurry to get out of here or this is kind of painful. Sorry about that. <laughs> that there's just these places that I know that things aren't right here because they're not right here. And even more than that, God's called the church to be the one who makes it right. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, God accomplishes his plan through the church. The way that he intends to bring peace on earth is through you and me. God accomplishes his plan through the church. And wouldn't you say that the world sure could use some peace? We live in a world that's filled with chaos and confusion, and it sure would be nice if at least in my little part of the world, I could be an agent of that peace. On more than one occasion over the years, I've, I've sat in a hospital room with a family or an individual when they're waiting. That's, that's kind of the worst part sometimes of being in that situation, because you're waiting for test results, or you're waiting for the doctor to come in and, and give you the news of um, what you're facing. The truth is, it really oftentimes doesn't matter what that news is. I've been there when a doctor walked in and said, hey, look, we didn't find anything. You're free to go home. I've been there when the doctor walked in and said, look, it's, it's the cancer and it's back. And this time there's nothing we can do. But there's something about the way the doctor brings that message. I've seen them come in with this gift of irritability. It's the spiritual gift of irritability. And they come in, and what they see brings chaos and confusion. And that person just comes in and drops this news, and then it just kind of swirls around, and they go out, and you're just left feeling empty and, and uncomfortable. There's anything but peace there. Then there's others that come in, and when they communicate what they have to communicate, they do it. And whether the news is good or bad, what they leave you with is kind of this sense of, of calm, maybe even hope in a certain way. The difference between those two approaches is peace. And how that person approaches you and how that person communicates and what kind of words they have to say to you and the way that they interact with you, it communicates something. The difference there is peace. And friends, we live in a world that's sick and dying. And God has called us to be the ones who go there to bring healing. And my question is, when you go to work, when you're in your home, when you're at school, when you interact with others, are you an agent of peace? Or oftentimes, is there just confusion and chaos left in your wake? Because God has left it up to you to make a difference, to be an agent of peace. 
So let's, let's do this. Let's, let's talk about peace for just a moment. And to do this, I, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes because um, I want you to look inside. So whether you're sitting here in Auditorium 1, maybe you're over in Auditorium 2, maybe you're watching this on a screen somewhere. But is there some place that as I've talked about being an agent of peace, you've realized that the Holy Spirit's prodding your heart that he may want to use you to bring peace to a place where there may be some chaos or confusion. And maybe in your school or on your job, maybe it's the state of your home right now. Maybe as we're going into a, a holiday season and Thanksgiving and Christmas are right around the corner, maybe it's that God's speaking to your heart about bringing peace. And that he wants you to be an agent of peace. And you'd say, God, I'm willing to, to take that assignment. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God, I need your help to be an agent of peace in my world. Yeah, thanks, man, thanks. I'll pray for you in just a minute. Let's get a little bit more personal for a moment, though. For some of you, when we talked about that partnership in peace, maybe there's a, there's a person, might even be a, a group of people, that the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart and saying, look, it's time for you to stop seeing this based on differences and start seeing this based on what I saw on the cross. And you would say, Jesus, I need your help to live in peace. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? It's, it's an area, it's a relationship, it's a stereotype. I don't know what it is. Man, thanks. Yeah, thanks for your honesty. God, I need your help to live in peace. One more question. It, it could be that you're here, and, and we're going to go all the way back, and you'd say, Chad, what I, what I need is peace in my life. It's missing, and I don't have it. And I haven't experienced peace with God. Maybe you never have and you'd say today, based on what Jesus did for me, I need to experience his forgiveness and his grace, and I need his peace. Or maybe it's as simple as you just say, hey, look, I'm in a storm right now. And when we prayed and sang that It Is Well song earlier, it was me <laughs> that needed to affirm it is well, even though it doesn't feel like it is. And God, what I need from you right now is peace. Because I know for some of you, just even in this last week, you've experienced a tragic loss. And for some of you, just yesterday's headlines about what took place in Paris has left you just kind of on edge. And it could be everything in between. But you would say, God, what I need from you in my world today is to experience your peace. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God, I need peace from you, peace in my decisions, peace in my future, peace in my heart. Father, you've seen the hands that have been raised today. And Lord, you've said that through your church, you want to accomplish bringing peace to earth, to our parts of the world that we're in. So Lord, this week, would you help us to be agents of peace in the words that we say and in the things that our actions communicate. May we communicate peace to others. And Lord, for some of us, it's, it's time for us to do some soul searching maybe to expose some places in our lives where we have purposely pushed some truth away. And it's time for us to look at how you can bring peace to those areas, peace to relationships, peace to our stereotypes. God, would you help us to do that?
And Father, I pray for the one who raised their hand and said, God, what I need from you is peace in my heart. God, I need peace in my soul. I need peace in my spirit in this season. Lord, your word promises that when we pray and we look to you, you can bring a peace that passes all understanding. And so God, in this moment, would you minister that to those who need it so much? Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Would you send us out, not just with your special favor, but with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to this message from Calvary Church. If you made that decision to follow Christ, we would love to celebrate with you. Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org and let us know how God brought life change to you.